Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Greg Barnes talking UNC football. Greg, today was another open practice in Keenan Stadium, and the Inside Carolina crew was on site to get a look at the team. They've been on a bit of a break for the last, what, it's been about two weeks now since since they had an open practice? Yes, they had three practices, uh, I guess two weeks ago, kind of to your point, Um, and then they had spring break. And so the staff gives the kids uh, that week off. And I think part of what the issue is, is that they've got to get all these practices done in a set amount of time. And if you wait to start until after spring practice, where you could have them all, you know, consecutive weeks, uh, then you'd, you'd be pushing back into really late April. And they don't want to do that because then you're getting into exam time and uh, all those kind of things. So I don't think they're a big fan of having to split it up, but I think a lot of schools have to deal with it. And so it actually gives them some time where they can, they can take those first three days of tape and really scrutinize them during that spring break period. And so when the kids come back, uh, you know, they're, they're familiar with the kids. They understand what they need to work on. And so I think it's, it's good for both of them, even though it's a little bit of an inconvenience. Yeah, it definitely slows the flow of information. I mean, as much as as you're going to get from Coach Fatora and his teams, anyways, because uh, yeah, we ha- we haven't had too much to talk about really on the football side. Uh, apart from there was the decommitment from earlier this week. Aside from that, though, there's just not been a whole lot. So, what did you guys see from the practice today? Were there any surprises from the last time that you guys were there watching it? Uh, not a whole lot, but I, I think. Uh, there's there's a couple things here. Number one is that they're they're still dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, I mean we, we we haven't seen JJ McCargo yet. You know William Sweet of course is still out. He was there in a red jersey. Uh, Thomas Jackson's in a red jersey. So they're at practice, but that's really about it. Uh, not able to do anything. And just a, a number of uh, a number of players that they're probably going to want to have uh, and that they're not. I mean your know, defensive line is probably where they're. Uh, their deepest, and yet uh, today we're looking at you know the the two deep at defensive tackle when you've got Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge, which is good; those are your starters. But then backups are, are Zach Gill and, and Nolan DeFranco uh, because Jalen Dalton's hurt and uh, Jeremiah Clark's hurt. So uh, just a lot of guys that are banged up, uh, and so kind of what that does is that that leads you to a situation where you're having to build depth yet again. I mean, the whole conversation last fall was, hey, we got all these guys hurt, but we're able to build depth. Um, and so that's kind of a silver lining. And I, I think that's a little bit of it, too, in the spring. You don't want to have injuries because, I mean, you're coming off three and nine. You've got to have these guys healthy to to make sure they can take the next step and be ready to go. Uh, and not having so many key guys uh, hurts a little bit. But, you know, as, as Fedora and, and Chris Kapilovic and a lot of those coaches have said, uh, this is the time of year to build depth anyway. You don't have a game coming up, uh, so you can handle the injuries a little bit easier this time of year. Let's talk about some of the positions. And one of the things that stood out to me was the running back group because you guys reported that it looked like um, Jonathan Sutton was 
taking some of the first team reps along with Michael Carter. Is that correct? Yes. And I think primarily what that was was Jordan Brown's practicing, uh, but he's limited. And so he wasn't actually working with the, uh, the team in the full run throughs that we were able to see. Uh, but Jonathan Sutton, I mean, here's a kid that has really, uh, really developed. I mean, I, they moved him from linebacker to running back solely because they needed extra bodies there last year. And credit to him for really busting his tail. And by the end of the year, he was a serviceable back. Uh, he's, you know, a bit, little bit bigger kid than than either Jordan Brown or Michael Carter. Uh, and he's got a pretty good uh, understanding of what he's supposed to do. Picked up blocking pretty well. Uh, and he's got kind of got a good uh, instinct about him. And so the coaching staff has been pleasantly surprised with what he's done. Uh, and so now he's you know, he's competing for playing time. And I think that's good because we know, you know Jordan Brown and Michael Carter both had good years last year. Mm-hmm. And so now if you get Sutton in the mix, you know, all of a sudden you've got three guys maybe you can rely on. And, and that's what you got to have because the last thing you need is, is to be – you have question marks at offensive line, which there clearly are. Uh, and then have question marks at running back as well. So, so maybe Sutton's help helping to answer some of those questions. What about the freshman running back who's currently on campus, Antoine Branch? Did, did you anything stick out about him to you? Yeah, the big thing about him is that he's big. Uh, <laughs> when you talk about, it's funny because you talk about Jonathan Sutton and say, "Wow, yeah, he's so much bigger than Jordan Brown and Michael Carter." Well, he's really not that big. Those guys are just really small, uh, and so you see a guy like Antoine Branch who's you. Know, six foot, 225 or whatever he is. And you're like, whoa, okay, that's a big back. And uh, you look at him with the, with the other running backs and you're thinking, okay, is he out of place? Is that really a linebacker? And I think that's good that they need that type of back because uh, they, they sorely missed uh, that, that type of talent last year. Um, you know, Elijah Hood, I think he brought a unique dynamic because he was a big guy, big, strong guy. Uh, but the way he played, he didn't necessarily play like one. And so you kind of got uh, blinded a little bit to how, how big and strong he actually was. And your know, branches is, is uh, a little bit different body type, but he, he's a big, big kid. So you know, maybe in, in certain situations against a more physical uh, you know, defensive line, you can use him more to kind of help wear down that line and, and give Carter and, and Brown and maybe even Sutton uh, some rest. And it also gives Carolina a true goal line threat. I think that that kind of hurt the offense at times last year because even though Carter and Brown ran hard, when it got there to that goal line, Carolina just was missing that size to really punch it in, you know? Yeah, of course. And that's that's one of the things that Elijah Hood did so well is that mm-hmm. you know, it's going to take more than one hit to get him down. And uh, you know, Ryan Houston, back you know, when, when Butch, his first couple years, one of the reasons Houston's was so effective is because he had a pretty good offensive line and he would hit you and move you. Um, and that's, there's a benefit to that. You know, you got, you need guys like Michael Carter in this offense who can break a you know, 60 yard run uh, and, and make you look good. But kind of to your point, there are situations where you've got to have a guy who is not going backwards. Um, he can grind out a yard or two, without getting any help from anybody else. You have the offensive line, you misses a block at the goal line. If you've got a guy that's strong enough to kind of move the pile, uh, that that's critical. And uh, not that you know, Larry Fedora is a big fan of lining up, you know, old school, uh, you know, third and one at the goal line and going for it like that. Uh, but you do have that option. Not to say that Branch is, is anywhere 
at the point where he can contribute in that way. He's got to prove it first, but he does have the body type to kind of fill that void. Now you've brought up the offensive line a couple times, and I know that you said J.J. McCargo is still out. And looking over kind of just the general observations here, it looks like his position is, is at center, correct? Isn't that where they're playing to play McCargo? Correct, yes. Okay. It looks like that might be the position that is really the depth chart. I mean, I'm looking at some of these names here. Frankly, the the person that I guess was spotted with the first team, Jonathan Troll, I, I don't even recall him his recruitment, honestly. And that probably speaks to what you were talking about, Greg, where the offensive line is just injury hitting them hard already. Well, and I think I think kind of the key point with Troll is he's been in the program for a long time. He's a walk-on. Um, he mm-hmm. played in Charlotte. And so the fact that he's been on the team, I'm trying to think back. I know he was on the 15 team. Uh, he may have been on the 14 team. So he's been around. And uh, the offensive line, uh, because of all the injuries they've had in recent years, they've had to rely on a lot of these guys that came in as walk-ons. And, you know, Troll's a, a big kid. He's 6'5", I think, about 300 pounds. Uh, and so he's experienced, and he's a, he's a veteran, and he's a guy that can kind of step in. But uh, to your point, you know, Brian Anderson, who's playing behind him, is is the kid with the big recruiting rankings. He's the guy that's supposed to step into you know McCargo's shoes whenever uh, Matar- McCargo gets hurt or whenever you know, he he moves on eventually. And uh, so I think the fact that that he's still battling through, kind of understanding how the the offense works, that gives Troll the upper hand there. But no, no question. You know, we we knew coming out of last year that while William Sweet would eventually come back, and Charlie Heck had a good year last year, so you have your quality pieces on the edges. There is a lot of question marks uh, on the in, inside, you know, b- at both guard positions and at center. And uh, so you are getting guys a lot of reps. I, I think really, if you look at it, whenever McCarger comes back, and even just now. Uh, the two deep at each of those interior positions are going to get a ton of reps so that when, when we get to training camp, you've got options at each position and it's going to be, all right, who has proved through spring ball and through training camp that they are ready to play at a consistent level. Cause none of these guys have played a lot. Uh, I know Polino played a decent bit last year, uh, but he struggled at times. So that's for this offense to really flourish next year to have a chance at flourishing that interior has got to improve uh, and that that's going to be the key thing to watch not only spring but also in the training camp into the regular season and real quick to finish out the first half of this podcast greg what about the wide receiver spot was there anything of note that you observed today with those guys oh i I would say well i'll say this we we spoke about this a couple weeks ago but uh, you know domi brown and um JT Calton, uh, those are guys that obviously are young, uh, Brown being you know, early in role league. They've got some, uh, some spunk about them. They both have you know, good quicks, uh, decent size for as young as they are. And so I think the fact that they're running with the twos right now uh, kind of gives you some indication of, okay, there's, there's some talent here. And I think you know, when, you, when you add in you know, a couple of nice additions in green and, and Adams in training camp, I think there's going to be a lot of good pieces. But I, the, the starting uh, trio right now, and Bo Corrales, Daz Newsom, and Anthony Ratliff-Williams, there's a lot of potential there. Um, they've got to continue to improve in consistency. I mean, even Ratliff-Williams, while he's known for his splash plays, 
He's got to be more nuanced, more more consistent. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of potential there, and especially looking at those young guys, that kind of stood out. All right, we'll go ahead and take our break. When we get back, Greg, I want to ask you about the defensive side of the ball and then also just some general thoughts on the reseeding in Keenan Stadium. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back after this. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Greg Barnes talking UNC football. Greg, we are going to focus on the defensive side of the ball during this part of the podcast. And just give me your general thoughts on who stood out really during today's practice from what you were able to observe. Well, let's see. I mean, I think I think somebody that continues to impress me, uh, and it's just because probably because we've been watching this position more than anything, uh, is is the linebackers and Dom Ross and Jonathan Smith. Uh, I think the fact that uh, those two guys uh, have, have shown quickness. They've got good size. Uh, Ross, it seems like he's filled out just a little bit. I mean, he's not a big guy by any stretch, but not near as thin as maybe he was last year. But I think they have the speed necessary to be effective at linebacker. Um, so uh, they, they've had some experience, and, and now it's time for them to, to really step up and use that athleticism. You know, it took Case and Collins a good while to really use his athleticism to his, his benefit. Uh, and you don't want these guys to have to wait to their senior years to be able to do it like Collins kind of had to. But if they can kind of you know, mature quicker and be able to produce, that would really help. Because I think, I think with the limitations that this team has at linebacker, uh, you're going to see a lot of nickel. Mm-hmm. And you know, Trey Shaw has been playing a lot of that, that nickel spot in, in the practices that we've seen, and Carolina plays a lot of nickel anyway. Uh, so I think you really only need two guys to step up. and and both Smith and Ross have, have impressed me in a little bit that we've gotten to see them. And then I'm looking at the names in the secondary, and what surprised me is that at cornerback, Greg Ross is listed as one of the starters. Were you able to look at him to see what he was providing to earn that spot ahead of Patrice Rene? Yeah, I think I think what they were doing is they were just rotating the cornerbacks for whatever reason because it was Ross and C.J. Cotman that were working with the ones. Uh, and I think... I would assume, and I think this is a safe assumption, that Patrice Rene and KJ Sales are your your primary cornerbacks there. Uh, sometimes we have seen where they've flipped the secondary with the front seven. Uh, we've seen that a lot over the years. So um, I would assume that's kind of what happened. Uh, but I think the fact that you Cotman and Ross are both young guys that uh, you know, have have incredible athletic ability, uh, a lot of talent. And it's going to be critical for those guys, and you know, I mentioned Trey Shaw a bit ago, for the three of them really to develop quickly. Because if those guys can come on and kind of live up to their, their recruiting rankings, to their billing, uh, they can really you know, give uh, the, the, the coaches, you know, both in uh, Tommy Thigpen and uh, Henry Baker, some, some options to get creative there in the secondary. And I, I think that'll be beneficial to see. And I think that's kind of one thing, probably what this is, is by rotating them in, they're getting used to working with different groups. 
uh, and maybe you can set them up to, to earn some more playing time and, and provide more production once the season starts. And actually, since you brought up Baker and, and Thigpen, and let's also throw Gillespie in there too, um, this was the first practice where you had all three of those new coaches on together that at least was open to the public. Did uh, you see anything you know that was kind of noteworthy about those three guys today? Well, and then you've also got you know, Luke Paschal, right, the oh, wide yeah. receivers. And uh, really the thing that stands out to me, not just from practice, is uh, you know, Gillespie and Baker and Pascal are all in their 30s. And so we're talking about a significant youth movement. And it was funny talking with um, with Miles Dorn after practice. And when, you, when you bring Tommy Thigpen into the equation, asking what was different about Tommy and, and Terry Joseph, he said, well, your Terry's a lot younger. <laughs> so I think that speaks to that speaks two things. Number one, you know, Tommy's getting older, and you can see that he's a little bit mellowed out. Uh, but at the same time, you know, players kind of connect with that younger coach vibe. Um, you know, Tommy's got such a great personality and he's such a, a player's coach that that he won't have any issues, you know, uh, building rapport with that group. But uh, you know, it kind of says, hey, you know, they connected with Terry Joseph because he's younger. And I think that's definitely going to be the case with. Uh, these other guys, Baker and Gillespie and Pascal and Larry Fedora has joked about that, how it's interesting in some of their meetings because you know, he's learning new things that he's never heard of before because these guys are so young. Uh, and just watching them, it's it's an interesting dynamic when you start looking at you know old coaches versus young coaches. And you've got uh, some older coaches who they're just old school football and they just yell and they're rough and uh, you know, we've seen that type over the years. And then you have guys like, like Baker and Gillespie who are high energy. You can sense the energy coming off of them, but they're trying to connect with the players and they're not necessarily yelling at them as much as they are encouraging them and instructing them. And it's really just kind of a different style. And I don't know if that's purely a generational thing. I don't know if it's just a matter of being younger and closer in age to the kids, uh, but it is different. And, while you do sense that that energy coming from them because of the youth, uh, they also kind of teach a little bit different way. So it's it's a unique dynamic. This is the point in the podcast where if you're talking with Tommy, he'd make a joke about him being old and remembering Tommy Thigpen playing for the heels. But well, Tommy is old, so that's not a joke. Oh, <laughs> Tommy, we still love you, man. Let's talk about though something else that was new today, Greg, and that was the seating in Keenan Stadium for anyone who may not be aware at this point. The bleachers are being taken out of most of the lower bowl. I think the only part that's going to remain is the student seating. And they have made a ton of progress in putting in the uh, stadium-style seats is what I would describe them as. How did that look in person? Because I've seen some of the photos that uh, especially Ross Martin was putting out on Twitter. And i got to be honest, it looks pretty good to me. Yeah, well, one thing, they are doing not just the lower bowl, they're doing the upper bowl. But you are oh, correct okay. that they are not doing uh, the student section. But, yeah, I agree. It looks absolutely fantastic. And I know a lot of people are, are bothered by the fact that you're reducing capacity by you know, 10,000 roughly, uh, you know, depending on how you want to, um, how you want to uh, detail exactly what the attendance was. And what I mean by that is it was listed at 63,000 prior that number is a little, you start talking to people at UNC, and it's like, yeah, yeah, it wasn't quite 63. So around 10,000 is what you're reducing it by. But 
the seats look fantastic. I mean, you can walk in between the rows now without any problem. Um, it's difficult to kind of shuffle around with the bleachers, especially if somebody's sitting down. Uh, but even when you're not sitting, even when it's empty, it could be difficult at times to kind of make your way through. But with the seats that fold up, I mean, you just scoot on around. It looks very good. Yeah, I think whenever you have games where it's not going to be a packed house, instead of having that aluminum glaring with the sun, you're going to have blue uh, chairs there. And so, yeah, I, I agree, uh, John. I think it, I think it looks very good. It's going to be a very nice touch when it's uh, finalized. Larry Fedora really seemed to like it. You know, we normally don't get a lot of uh, a lot of that personal vibe from him. He, he seemed to be thoroughly pleased with how it's looking thus far. Uh, so I think it's going to be a good thing. I thought that they were only doing the lower bowl this year and the upper bowl was going to be next year, but they are planning to do the entire stadium except for the students during this one offseason then, right? Yes, my understanding is they're going to do it all this year. Hmm. Well, that'll certainly look good, hopefully, for the opening game then. And we'll wrap it up, Greg, with this. The other large news item that came out between the last time we've talked about practices was Carolina made the statement that they are not having a spring game this year just because of the honestly all the construction that's going on on campus and you know some fans especially on the message boards were a little bit upset about that but it you almost kind of got the feeling from the statements from Larry Fedora and some of the coaching staff that not having a spring game might actually be a positive for them can talk with me about that a little bit yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because this team is coming off three and nine. They need as much practice as they can get. And whenever you hold a spring game, some people don't know this, you are only allowed 15 practices during the spring season. And the spring game, no matter how you set it up or dress it up, it counts as a practice. So by having a spring game, you effectively are, are losing a practice opportunity. And so what Larry Fedora has done in recent years to kind of combat that is they've made it you know, as much like a scrimmage as they can to make it worthwhile. You know, whereas you know, in previous, under previous coaching staffs, you would just have like an actual game where the ones would go against the twos or whatever. Um, and so I think this team needing as much work as it does this offseason, I think the coaching staff was willing to say, hey, you know, we, we could actually use that extra practice. We can use every bit of practice time we can get. Um, and so when it came to a decision of, hey, okay, we don't have a practice field. Um, we, you know, we're not going to have seating capacity right now because so much is up in the air with how the seating is going to be in Keenan Stadium. Uh, what do you think? And at that point, I'm like, well, you know what? Let's just not have one. Um, and so there are some positives for sure, but I am, I am a big believer that you have to build fan support. You've got to have fans that are wanting to come and see you all the time. They want to get to know the players. They want to know what's going on. Um, you, you got to have those diehard fans that care about every little detail. And I know those fans at times irritate coaches, but those fans are the foundation for your program. And the more of those fans that you have, the more strength you have in your program so that when things go bad, you still have that support. The last thing you want is to not have built up enough rapport with your fans that when things go bad, all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, where did the fans go? Um, and so there's a little 
there's a little hesitancy for me to fully embrace the idea of not having a spring game. I, I think any of those opportunities are good, but given the logistics, it just was not possible this year. Uh, and so we'll have to see how they try to remedy that. You know, maybe with some unique opportunities in, in training camp and, and then maybe again next year. You obviously couldn't see me, Greg, but I was nodding my head during that entire <laughs> last little bit right there. I mean, I completely agree. I think it is a, I mean, it. I hate to use the term, but it, it is a shame that the fans will not get to see this team in that traditional spring game. And so while I, I, do I agree with you, I think it is a shame. Yeah. And I mean, there are some positives and, you know, the coaching staff can obviously, you know, pull those out and say whatever that they want to say. But I don't know. It is just nice to be able to get families into Keenan to watch the the guys, to get to know some of the names. And even though it may be meaningless, quote unquote, it's like you said, building that fan support is very important for any college program. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, Alabama is filled to the brim for their glorified scrimmage, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, you could, you can make adjustments for it and maybe have, uh, you know, a, a situation like a meet the hills where you can have an enhanced and allow fans to, to come in and talk to players, something like that. You, you could, you could change it up and, and make amends some way. Uh, but I, I think just the, the logistics played an issue. They decided that they wanted to go ahead and utilize that extra practice. So I understand it. Uh, and I, I get why they did it in the decision. Uh, but, but to your point, it is a shame. The fr- fans, I mean, they're really going to have to wait until uh, training camp and the first game in September to get a really good look at this team. Yep, and you know, Coach Fedora, I don't think is going to be offering uh, much in the way of insight <laughs> into things, right? Yeah, that's uh, that, that is not his style. <laughs> nope, not at all. But um, I appreciate you jumping on with me, Greg. We will be talking more throughout the upcoming weeks as Carolina does wrap up its spring practice schedule. And from everyone here at Inside Carolina, thanks and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and 1,000 euro cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.